Culture Affidavit, episode 120, When It Was Fun. Hello and welcome to episode 120 of Pop Culture Affidavit, the podcast that takes a look at everything random in the world of popular culture, which is brought to you by the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network. I'm your host, Tom Panneries. So I've been in the 90s for, well, pretty much this entire year, looking at music, movies, the entirety that is Generation X. And for this episode, I'm staying there and I'm getting, well, I'm going to get a little local and a little personal, in a sense. In 1996, a band named Wasted Time released their only album, When It Was Fun, on the independent label Grass Records. The three-man pop-punk group had been together at that point for about two or three years, and they'd come together at Sable High School, which is, of course, where I went. In honor of that anniversary, I had the chance to sit down with the band's lead singer, Chris Lynham, for an interview. We talked about the band's story, what it was like to get a record deal when you are still a senior in high school, and what he's doing now. So buckle up and take a trip back to the uh, pop-punk days of the mid-90s as Chris and I talk about Wasted Time. Okay, so uh, the music you heard uh, introducing the episode and then and then coming into the segment was the song Heathcliff. It's by a band called Wasted Time that was a uh, punk band out of Sable, New York, my hometown, that released an album on March 26th, 1996. And as I said, that's the album we're going to talk about today. And to talk about the album, or at least talk about the band, is the band's uh, lead singer and lead guitarist, somebody I have known for, and I have to do the math in my head quickly, 39. 39 years. We, we, we met in preschool <laughs> when we were back, back when we were about four years old. Please welcome to the show, Chris Lynham. Uh, how are you doing, Chris? I'm doing well, and uh, thank you for having me. And uh, this is, uh, I've been looking forward to this since we, since we communicated about it. So, um, yeah. and, and, I, and I did that math in my head this morning, too, because I was thinking the same thing out of all the people in my life I know, you know what I mean, besides my, besides my family. I think it might be you the longest. So. Yeah, yeah, and we have come a long way from playing like greatest American hero in our backyards. <laughs> so, yeah, so so like I said, we met in preschool. Now we went, um, we just a tiny bit of bio history here. Like we went to separate elementary schools and then met up again in junior high school, and then and then we were in a lot of classes together, especially in high school. Yes, yes. Um, I think we had science for like three or four years together. And at some point in high school, you and a couple other guys started uh, various bands. And, and one of the things I, I loved about our school is that 
we had this it's almost like a scene, you know, yeah. I, I don't, you know, I, I don't know many, uh, you know, we both, we uh, behind the curtain, both of us have the same exact job. <laughs> we both teach right, ninth yeah. grade. <laughs> and high school leaguers. We both teach ninth grade. Um, my school, if there are bands and stuff out there, it's not as like out front people talking about it in the school, at least, or at mm -hmm. least as I can tell, um, most of the conversations tend to revolve around sports, video games, and, you know, community service, like that sort of stuff. But we had, enough bands in our high school to have a battle of the bands of the year. And, um, and you, you were in, at least you were in wasted time, at least um, junior and then, and then senior year. Um, and I, I don't know if you were in any others, but I knew we had, we have mutual friends or classmates who were in a number of other groups as far back as eighth grade. Cause I remember that uh, social tea biscuits performance at um, the junior high dance. Um, and so that's actually a huge, huge thing that I wanted to mention later too, that, that, that exact it's really funny that you say that because mm -hmm. um, I was thinking the same thing and I try to explain things to, you know, people that I meet along the way. And, you know, when you get become friends with somebody, you try to like, Hey, where'd you come from? What was that mm -hmm. kind of thing? Like, and, you know, in, in Sable for whatever reason, and I don't know why, and it, it felt so localized. So many kids listen to so, so, so much music that was different and underground and, whatever it might be. Mm -hmm. And then had all these bands too. And it was like, this is crazy. This is like this weird hotbed of kind of like cool stuff happening. You know what I mean? Especially when you're in middle school and high school or junior high and high school. Yeah. Um, getting all into what music might mean to you. If, if you're going to be a music dude, that like, that's when it happens. Or, you know, if you're going to be a movie dude, like that's when you start getting really, really all into that kind of stuff. So I, I do think it was kind of unique in, in that way as well um yeah i remember great. i remember another people number of people we went to junior high school with having um especially those who had older siblings who had access to the dead kennedys or the circle jerks or rollins bandit black flag like you know the um the uh underground um even red hot chili peppers red hot chili peppers or blood yeah. sugar sex magic you know mm -hmm. what i mean like, like that kind of stuff yeah. crazy i remember some of our classmates in like either the late eighth grade or early ninth grade talking about going to a show and i think it was at the roseland in, in manhattan in which um the red hot chili peppers were headlining a club mm -hmm. show smashing pumpkins open for them and pearl jam open for the smashing pumpkins and this would have been 1991 yeah so i want to say is... it was either at the academy roseland mm -hmm. it was it had to be like eighth, ninth grade, something like that over that summer, maybe. Yeah. So that's, and that, that is, that is on the cusp of, because I think you get into our freshman year, especially into our sophomore year, that's when, you know, Nevermind and 10 go from having been released to huge, you know, yeah. it, um, and, and people start dropping. Like I remember through eighth and ninth grade, Guns N' Roses was still very, very big and, and Metallica mm -hmm. was out and Metallica was still big among a number of people that, that um, I, gravitated around so like where did you get the bug you know like what what started you along this path of listening like listening to what's what bands were they um you know what you know how did how did how did it become punk music as opposed to say guns and roses or something more along the lines of it like a pearl jammer or stone temple pilots um and uh and then what inspired you to play 
so it's funny because I was like kind of thinking of like a musical progression or whatever. And, and as you remember, when we were real little kids, I loved Michael Jackson. Mm-hmm. Loved that stuff. All right. And then that kind of was through elementary school. And then I got into Def Leppard towards at the end, like with the pour some sugar on me. And I'm like, this yeah. is amazing, you know. Um, then I was good friends with Greg D'Antoni and his older brother had R.E.M. Green. Mm, good and album. I was like, I was like, this is cool. <laughs> and then like, I remember hearing Stan. And that was the first band that I like really dove into REM. And like that was in sixth and seventh grade. Mm-hmm. After that, it was like the Ramones. I remember hanging out with like, I think Keith Seabury, he had older brothers with Ramones tapes and we were listening to the Ramones playing basketball in his driveway, you know, shooting hoops or whatever. Mm-hmm. Then Pat Mueller lent me Ted Milkman tape and they might be Giants tape. So that was like other weird music at that point. <clears throat> and then that was around seventh grade, eighth grade. Then the eighth grade dance came and I saw kids our age playing awesome music that I knew because they played Orange Crush by R.E.M. And I, rem- I was like, it was like one of those formative moments that looking back, like I remember every single second of that's cool. looking around at the people, looking at, you know, Tim and Mike and Zach and Bill, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I think Bill, so, Bill, yeah. Bill Nash. And, uh, and looking at them and like, holy, like people do this, like real people do this. Mm-hmm. I can do this if they can do this. And I remember then I was like, this is, that would be awesome if I ever got into a band. You know what I mean? It was kind of cool. <laughs> and then playing hockey, like a couple months later, somebody had Kerplunk and put Kerplunk on. Damn. It must've been six or eight months later. Cause around that, eh. no, that's not right. You know, you know, eighth to ninth grade. It was around that. Yeah, Kerplunk was 1039. Yeah. Yeah. So something like that. Yeah. And and I remember playing hockey and like I I think it was 2000 light years away or one of my lies. I'm not really even sure. And I just skated. I was in rollerblades and I skated over the to the um to the radio and I was like, pardon my language, what the fuck is this, man? This is amazing. <laughs> like this is the right amount of fast and catchy and like, this is amazing. Mm-hmm. And um, that was like my first kind of like, besides the Ramones, I was like, this is like the Ramones, but poppier and faster and catchier and more modern sounding. And that was it. You know what I mean? Like, that was it. And then we got all their stuff. And then, you know, like you read the thanks list on the back of their records mm-hmm. and you buy all those bands that they mentioned. And then you read the thanks list on the back of their records and you buy all those bands. So that's kind of like how I got into all that pretty much early to mid nineties, like East Bay. I don't know if you've ever seen the turn it around documentary. No, I haven't, but I'm going to write God, that down. You got to watch it. It's- I, yeah. I have watched a lot of, um, documentaries lately about the early 80s stuff like out of like dc for instance okay and i've watched salad, uh, uh, salad days and salad stuff days like i watched actually salad days and i watched the first and then i watched all three of the decline of western civilization um documentaries because <laughs> uh, yeah they're all on the, they're all on the streaming service canopy so but salad days okay. is really really good so yeah and i've i've uh, so i've seen uh seen this one's called yeah this one's called turn it around and i think green day actually produced it but it talks to all those people from the band Crim Shrine through Operation mm-hmm. Ivy. They interview Kirk Hammett because um, he grew up like like Metallica literally played down the street from all those other bands. Like mm-hmm. they had a house down there and um, Duff McKagan, they interview and Iggy Pop does the narration. And 
it's awesome. It's really, really well done. Um, I actually wrote to the director because I used it in my, I, I taught film last year, which I didn't want to, but um, I, I used the documentary. I'm like, ah, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to do something I like. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. you know, I, I, I taught that for documentary. I because re- I remember um so like I had a I had a similar and years ago I talked about Dookie because Dookie was I, the album. I listened to that one, yeah, too, or I and, read that, whatever it was. Yeah, my thing both. was and, and so like up until then I had been listening to a lot of alternative. I think Pearl Jam was my my band of choice, and mm-hmm. um, my thing was just I, I I find it like I find it really interesting. It's really cool that that you had found the scene of like the contemporary you know punk because you know I was so uncool that I couldn't. I wouldn't have known anything if I tripped over it, you know, and, and um, so I ended up going back and listening to the Ramones because it was the only other punk band that I knew of. And then I discovered um, the clash and um, early and then later replacements albums. So, you know, and the replacements ended up being one of my favorite bands, but that's because Mm -hmm. my thing has always been way more rock. Although lately a lot of weirdly just on this kick of 80s new wave stuff from like the very very early 80s like post-punk stuff um and stuff like that but i find that really interesting that that you that you almost immediately found did that thing where you looked at the bands and 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 were able to find them i also remember like i guess it was like i might have skipped a couple years i remember in like eighth seventh or eighth grade when when nevermind came out Mm -hmm. i wore through that tape twice listening to it riding my bike on rollerblades from my house on Broadway yeah. to the tennis courts being like this is that was like exciting too and I love Pearl Jam too at that point too so I, I skipped yeah. over that a little bit and then from that weirdo alternative music that's mm-hmm. when I started getting into like the punk stuff so yeah so, so how did you find it was it because I, I don't know I can't imagine it was all available at the mall per se was it Middle Earth was it Friends was it you know um, who was how are you how are you getting that stuff because it was um, definitely Friends and, and you know like palling around with with Craig and and uh, and Rich at that point um, it was definitely through Friends kind of like overhearing stuff from kids that um kids that were I considered cool, you know what I mean? Or um, also, you know, not being able to find like, let's say a 15 record or an Operation Ivy record at like Sam Goody or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then hearing about Middle Earth Records. You go to Middle mm-hmm. Earth, you, you ride your bike to Middle Earth Records. Yeah. And Mark was his name, I believe, if I remember correctly. I think so, yeah. You tell him what album you want and he ordered it for you. And that was like a mind-blowing thing. You know what I mean? Like, oh, that you can do that? And like the only experience i had ordering stuff was collecting upcs from transformers and waiting six to eight weeks <laughs> yeah. for a limited release whatever ratchet exactly. or whatever the hell we were, yeah. you know? <laughs> yeah. so you know like that was a mind-blowing thing and then all these bands with these wacky weird names and you mm-hmm. know I, I don't know it was just such a cool and i always think back at that time as like being so exciting <laughs> Yeah, there is something exciting, like where it's it it's a rabbit hole because you you go from one band and then you hear about them and 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 you know we've been around long enough to see how they they intersect with one another too, and then yep. sometimes they appear on each other's albums and stuff, and and you just buy and buy like eventually you're five CDs deep into another totally <laughs> other you know um, and stuff. So you you're really into this and then um and you had um that thought of like you know hey all these all these guys are in bands and i remember and i went to those you know, i that that battle of bands was like the event um that and like the lip sync contest but this is one of the yeah. events like people you know like nobody goes to school at night unless you know like it's a you know even like musicals and stuff you know we're, we're pretty big but this thing was like 
everybody went to this thing like and packed they, yeah year. and there were there were some serious there was some serious talent on display too what made you go from sitting there watching this going oh i wish i could do that to i'm gonna like we're gonna get a band together and then we're eventually gonna because you did that i think two years in a row you guys were in uh battle, in, battle bands so so like what how did how did wasted time come about well i i remember you know seeing the social tea biscuits who are now backs to falling or mm-hmm. again, backs to falling, whatever, cause they're playing again too, which is awesome. But, um, and then, you know, like that's eighth grade. So then in ninth grade kind of being like coming, becoming friends with different people like Craig and Pat Malillo. And mm-hmm. those guys were way into music and Craig played drums and Pat was playing bass. And, you know, I actually, we kind of had a little band thing and that, I think that was like parental advisory or DFA. If you remember, I remember DF. I remember the DFA. Yeah. And they kicked me out of that because I couldn't sing, <laughs> which, I, which, you know, whatever. <laughs> I remember being devastated at that point and now being like, they were right, but whatever. Um, and then trying to like, Oh, I'm going to get my own thing going and going through whoever's playing drums. And mm-hmm. I remember Bill Lundrigan and I played together for a second. And that's when I kind of hooked up with Rich McGuire again. Mm-hmm. Um, and cause I heard that he played bass. So I was like, Hey man, I heard you play bass. I really would like to get a band together. And that was ninth or 10th grade, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we kind of got together and started to make a band and I called it alone in a crowd. Cause I thought it was going to be deep and it was an REM lyric, mm. you know, like whatever. And then I remember trying to like sort of copy the artwork that I was seeing on the punk rock stuff that I liked, but like making it different, but like keeping the aesthetic and you know, the whole thing. Yeah. That fizzled out um, after a while, then kind of like Craig and Pat, something happened, wound up playing with Craig and Rich and Phil Hanratty. Mm. Phil Hanratty was playing with us as guitar player. We caught wind, I feel like, that he was going to quit. He said he wanted to quit. It wasn't serious, whatever. doesn't really matter. Yeah. So they were like, well, you sort of know how to play guitar. I was like, well, I know like two fingers, one string and one fret apart is a power chord. I wouldn't call that knowing how to play guitar, but that was a week before that battle of the bands in 11th grade. And Mm -hmm. there I was, you know what I mean? (laughs) So I had luckily had my uncle lend me an electric guitar and, you know, like I had a rudimentary I think Jody and Tony one time taught me that power chord and I had like banging out Blitzkrieg bop in my room on like shitty acoustic guitar that my parents gave me. You know what I mean? <laughs> um, but like, that was it. And like within a week, I, I think we learned like three songs, four mm. songs and, and it was horrific. It, it went horribly. And, but like anybody else's first performance does like, it didn't matter. Cause I loved it. Yeah. Yeah. I loved it. And that was it. And that was it after that. And I'm like this, I'm doing this, this, we're going to do this. And we started practicing a lot. Um, the three of us learned how to write a decent song, a passable song. I'm not going to say great song. We know whatever. And uh, senior year kept writing, kept writing, kept writing. And then that's when, you know, I, I want to say the rest is history, but it, it is. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I just, so yeah. Cause senior um, I, I, you're bringing these things up and I briefly have flashes of you with like, I, I, the, the name alone in a crowd sounds very familiar and I have flashes of you 
in in class here and there sketching things out and you know whatever and and i do i do distinctly remember those battle of the bands um which you're thinking about how like some ba- like they went the, the style went like very punk by the time we were in senior year there might have been a couple of bands that were a little more pop or or mm-hmm. um kind of had that sort of uh for lack of a better word jam band you know that dead fish dave matthews type of yeah, yeah, aesthetic yeah. but most most of the bands were, were very, yeah, very punk, yeah 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 and there, there was that one teacher band too mr valenti mr valenti uh, yeah the, the retreads the, yes yes um, they yeah. were pretty tight though i remember because really uh, they played at uh, black uh, blackbirds grill dog and duck whatever a number of years ago oh yeah the- <laughs> and i went uh had to be like you know everything's 10 years ago now but whatever mm-hmm. i had to be 15 years ago after i started teaching and, and so mr valenti has a go and he's like I know. What are you doing? I'm like, I'm you now. <laughs> I'm, I'm like creating this. He's like, oh my god. Yeah, anyway. yeah. Um. So I guess my first question is, like, how supportive were your parents? Because th- this is one of the things. Knowing my parents, had I decided to do this, especially since you guys decided to do something with this after high school and you didn't immediately go to go to go away to college from mm-hmm. what i recall um, my parents would have been like you know this is bringing shame and dishonor on our family people are going to talk about this how did your parents react were they supportive um you know uh and i don't want to bring up any bad memories or anything <laughs> like that but but just kind of thinking of like how that went through especially since you guys were recording things and, and putting things out uh it's it's funny because my my folks and i, I don't want to say talk about this all the time but we laugh about it now mm-hmm. um and now that I'm a parent, I understand they were scared. Like we decided we wanted to do this. And, and I actually, and I don't even know if you know this, but I had a deposit down in Oswego. I was going to go into psychology. Mm. Um, I had a deposit down in Oswego my senior year. Literally, like we sent it in two weeks, like two weeks prior. I came home two weeks later. And that's when the, like the message from Grass Records was on my answer. Oh, really? And then we played that showcase and we got, we got signed and all that other nonsense. And then I, I had to tell my parents, like, I'm not going to college. Mm-hmm. And uh, you can imagine with you know two teachers as parents because you had two teachers. <laughs> yeah, I had teachers as a parent. <laughs> um, it didn't go over well. Uh, you know, they 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 weren't mm. happy. I'm not going to say. Uh, let me put it this way: they and and I love them dearly, and I know they were worried about me because they loved me. Mm-hmm. They uh, they put up perfunctory support okay no you know, you know what i mean like, you know what I mean? like a yeah. like appropriate support um expected amounts of support <laughs> yeah it's and i don't mean that I, I don't mean it sounds much worse than it is you know what i mean plus yeah. and as you know in talking to students all the time mm-hmm. their perception is as valid as your perception as the adult so whether or not they were being more supportive than I thought thought they were, there was that like "screw you, mom and dad" <laughs> aspect to it too. You know, the punk aspect there. to it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, you know? yeah. It, no, I think the phrase that they were worried about me is probably is it's it's an, that's an excellent way to describe it. And I think as us as parents now have that perspective that we wouldn't have had at. 16 17 years yeah. old um but to go kind of into the more happy stuff um or the you know the, the 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 really on topic stuff so um before we went on we were talking about like you know the demo tape and then 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 the album so let's let's go back to the to the demo like the first time you guys recorded like how did you get that um let me just make sure of it so you i i bought your your demo tape senior year 
Um, I think you sold it to me for like for like five bucks or something. And um, sorry about that. Yeah, <laughs> uh, but um, but it, this is like this is this is a moment where I don't know. To me, this is a moment where like you guys are taking this more seriously than say any somebody in another band who are just we're just fucking around in a band. Um, you know, maybe there's some girls who like us because of it. And after high school, we go our separate ways. You know, it's that Brian Adams song. You know, right, um, right. you guys actually you, you you cut the demo. How did that come about? Like who? And and then and then from there, how did the how did the Grass Records um, Grass Records deal and the actual album come about? The recording and everything. So in eleventh grade, we had started to like be able to at least structure kind of a song. I remember mm-hmm. and. And there was actually the demo tape that you're talking about. There was actually one before that with three different songs on it. Okay. Um, and we went in and that was my first time in, rec- it was all of our first time in recording studio. And um, <laughs> that was a trip because, uh, you know, you have to perform everything relatively perfectly. And mm-hmm. Craig was a very good drummer, but it's very difficult to play drums perfectly. And Rich was a very good bassist and I was not a very good musician. So, I would remember being really nervous and hearing myself playing guitar on tape and being like, Oh my goodness. But I remember doing the first song that was called outside. I remember writing this cool kind of riff and it was the first song I ever wrote all by myself. And we recorded that. And we, I think we played it in the studio like 20, 22 times to get it right. And rich was, uh, was behind a screen, you know, like a a sound screen. Mm -hmm. And I remember him like, gripping onto his base, like about to like, cause it was Craig that kept mess- missing something. And again, mm-hmm. again, emotions running high because of teenage hormones, but yeah. he was like ready to like jump through the screen. Like, is this kid going to get it right? You know, but I, that was like a wake up call. Like, Holy, we have to have our stuff together. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean, if we're ever going to do this. So we recorded that. It was okay. Um, we had subpar equipment, you know, that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And, and, uh, then I started taking it really seriously, listening to this. Oh, I could have done this better. Like, oh, I should really practice. I should really learn how to write songs. I got to listen to more dif- different music to get different song structures. That kind of started thinking a little bit more about it rather than like trying to emulate a different band. Okay. And uh, that's when we started to, and even though that four song demo tape sounds a lot like every other mid nineties pop punk band, I kind of consider that like we started to write our own real kind of like riffs. So um, those songs are, uh, you know, I think objectively better than the other ones. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously subjectively I have bias, but I think they're objectively better than the other ones. And we recorded with the same guy. And he said, after we finished recording that, he like came over, he goes, he goes, I was a little nervous seeing your name coming up again, but you guys really, <laughs> you guys really, you, you guys really got it together. You're a much better band than you were last year. And I remember like, looking at the guys and like feeling like feeling good, you know, being like this, this guy, of course we're paying him, you know, but yeah, this guy, this guy is all, he, he's around musicians and bands all the time and he's recording them. And he said that we got better. Mm-hmm. So like we're on the right track, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? And, and that's when, you know, we took it even more seriously. We sent that demo tape out everywhere. We had sent the first demo tape out, but then that second demo tape we sent everywhere. Lookout mm-hmm. records, fat records, epitaph, um, go-kart records. I think we probably even sent it to some major labels like idiots. I don't even know. Um, like Columbia so we, or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Who even knows? Like, you know, we were, we were going to different punk rock concerts and throwing mm. demos up on tape to uh, up on stage to the bands and 
Like it was like, we're idiots. You know what I mean? But we're like, we want to do this. We want to do this. So eventually grass records gets back to us and they want to see us play. And we're like, Oh my God. I remember like freaking the F right out and calling Craig being like, dude, dude, I, I think, I think, I think we might have a record deal. And he's like, shut up. You know, no way, no way. <laughs> so like, oh, and then I'm like trying to figure out how to play the answering machine tape over the phone. And like, so they have this showcase in the city, Grass Records does. And we play with another number of other grass bands uh, or bands that were going to be signed to grass, whatever. And Rich's dad's friend is the only one that has an available van. <laughs> so he brings us in this minivan. <laughs> <laughs> the four the, the three of us is squeezed in the back of the minivan with the equipment this guy's driving and um we go in we play the show at this dinky club and he's like the guy rob was his name from the record company he was like same place we can meet so i look at the other guys i'm like i guess the back of the van <laughs> so the, the four of us now are sitting in a empty van mm-hmm. that's not ours and he's like you know we uh, we, we really like a band. We'd like, we'd, we'd like to do, we'd like to do a record with you guys. And, and like, we were like, Oh yeah, cool. Yeah, send the contracts over. But, 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 you know, like, Oh yeah, it sounds cool. Like, you know, let us know. Meanwhile, like holding our sphincters shut, you know what I yeah, mean? Like, like, you know, and, uh, and then, you know, he leaves and like the whole ride home, I remember us being like, you know what I mean? And, um, Oh man. Eventually like signing the contracts. We, I think we had like a friend's parent look at the contract. Mm. That was a lawyer, like whatever. Um, so we signed it. Um, I think the people we consulted said that it seemed pretty legit and sounded like an entry level deal. So we mm-hmm. were like, all right. And it wasn't for a great amount of money. It was really only like $4,000 plus like uh-huh. fees or whatever. What happened after that was a whole different story, but, um, so we did that we took about 2200 bucks and recorded the record mm-hmm. um and with the other 1800 bucks bought a van from a friend's dad and started playing shows and really really getting into uh recording and um uh you know writing and recording and yeah. playing shows and getting our name out there and meeting different people around the island that you know some of whom i'm still in touch with and some of whom are still like touring the country yeah, well not right now but mm-hmm. um you know, a couple of the guys that we played with right after we graduated, like their band, they'll, they'll play uh, in Europe to like a couple, wow. couple thousand kids, you know, um, they'll play around the country. They'll, they'll headline small clubs now. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So, so the album itself is, um, it's 13 songs. Um, it, and uh, one of which is, a, is, so it's 12 songs in a cover because you guys covered um, Van Morrison's Brown Eyed Girl, which uh, mm-hmm. people who listen to the show regularly, I mentioned it back in September. September or October, I did an episode called Taped Off the Radio, and I talked about Brown Eyed Girl, and I mentioned the fact that you guys had done a cover. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll get to that in a minute. Going into recording the album, did you have a lot of the songs written, or were you writing them as you were recording? And how was the recording of the album, the full 13 song? Although, I think you, according to the liner notes, you a couple of the songs from the demo just it sounded like you just poured them over. Yeah, so we recorded um, 11. 11 of those yeah um most of them being written in between the time of the demo during the the like starting to play shows and Mm -hmm. and all that kind of stuff 
And then I remember the last one that we wrote for the, the record, which was actually like pretty, I don't want to say pretty soon before the record, but like, you know, it was still considered new for mm-hmm. us, um, was Buckle Up, the last song on the record. Mm-hmm. And, and I remember actually writing that song and being like, oh, like, oh, cool. Like, we've, we put together something kind of cool here. Like, that song's kind of cool. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> the structure of it, you know, I, I liked a lot of the stuff about that song in particular. Mm-hmm. Um, most of the stuff was written, and the recording of that went a lot more smoothly mm-hmm. than the uh, other ones because the, the dude who was recording us, we had provided him with a tape of most of the songs, so he knew what to expect. And we, from our two other experiences in the studio, or at least me, I don't know about the other guys, mm-hmm. I had almost a legal pad filled with like, Notes. oh, I want to du- double the guitar here and make mm-hmm. sure you do play this way on this song and turn down the distortion here. So when you double the guitar, like I had like all these ideas, like I knew, like, like I knew what the fuck I was talking about, but yeah. I didn't. Yeah. Anyway, but like I, I, we were purposefully thinking about it in a little bit of a different way. Mm -hmm. um so that that was kind of cool and that recording was a little bit more smooth but it was also intense because we had a lot to do in not a lot of time Mm -hmm. and um the dude who i'm actually friends with on facebook uh, paul de benedetto um who i got in contact with recently you know um i think he got like some of the best sounds i i think i think that record sounds great i think it sounds really good um to this day like i don't know like I, I i hear things recorded sometimes and i'm like huh but this like this record i think the guitars are big i think the drums are great the bass well, craig and i were actually talking a couple weeks ago um about the the, the album because mm-hmm. um, he saw i put that post up and uh, yeah. the bass we mixed a little bit loud but we did that because a he was the best musician in the band mm-hmm. and b we didn't know how awesome he was because when we were playing downstairs in the basement, it's like, you know, you don't oh, hear yeah. anything. You know what I mean? So like, we're like, Oh my God, that's cool. What he's doing. And then, um, and B, like, that was, like, kind of the aesthetic of the music. Like, there was always, like, these cool, funky, not, not even funky, these cool, punky running bass lines through all, like, mm. the bands that we loved. Green Day, Rancid, yeah. Bad Religion, you know, like, all that stuff. So we were like, cool, let's do that. So I think that record still sounds great. <laughs> yeah, no, like, like I said, I was listening to it yesterday while I was at Running Errands because I hadn't listened to it all the way through in, in years. And um, I, I did notice there are moments of the album and, and specifically where I can't tell you, but there are moments of the album where um, it is, there's, there's like, and, and drum solos are not something you expect from punk. Bass solos the same way. Like, you know, especially if you're thinking about like the Ramones, the Ramones are like, you know, three minutes, we can barely play. Let's, you know, um, 
and and there are moments where you guys just allowed you know they you guys allowed that to happen where he was like you know there was a there was a Craig on the drums for a little while and then and the Rich comes in on the bass and then you come into the guitar, guitar and then the the vocals. Yeah, it, it's a really, really good sounding album, and and um, because I'm sure that we have all, we both have albums from bands who were very independent in that, like truly independent, truly garage band stuff, and the mix and the production is nowhere near as as solid as this is. So yeah, you're right. It's it's a really, really well produced and really good sounding album. Are there any like? I don't know how often you have listened to it in the last decade or two. Are there any songs in particular that like jump out at you? I mean, I chose Heathcliff to open the episode because it is, it's still in my top. If I have a top three songs in the album, it's, it's right up there at the your graduation Heathcliff. I really liked sick and tired. Um, and why is the world? This is another one. And then shut up. Or like, those are the ones that I, I think I, I had in a fairly regular rotation or, or that would pop up on my iPod um, more than the others. Are there any that jump out at you that you remember really, really, really being proud of or really, really like? Well, I really, I, I really liked Imitation. Um, mm-hmm. I really like Sick and Tired. Um, I like playing those. Playing um, Graduation was always fun as well. Um, I really like those songs. I, I'm still going to go with my favorite song is Buckle Up, just because I love the structure of that song. I love the speed of that song. I love the bass line. I think the little like middle, like I call, I call it bridge part Mm -hmm. um, is cool because like, you know, Rich does this kind of like slap bass thing. That's kind of cool in it. And um, it was, it was heavy. And then it's gets, has this kind of cool poppy chorus. And I don't know, like, I felt like at that point, that was when we were starting to ironically towards the end of the band, unfortunately, Mm -hmm. um, or I should say that's kind of the first time I feel like we almost had our own sound or we're at least heading towards having our own sound. Mm -hmm. And I'm just, I remember being kind of proud of the subject matter and the way that song sounded, the cool change at the end, which ironically, and we've, we've even said this is almost a blatant ripoff of rocket queen at the end. If you think about like the, the what happens at the end of Rocket Queen, yeah. what happens at the end of Buckle Up, it's essentially the same thing. And I want to say that's even almost purposeful and homage-like. You know what I mean? Mm. Because we were way into all that kind of stuff. And um, but I just I, I kind of liked. I, I think of that song and all the kind of cool little parts to that song as 
when we were really starting to figure out what we were doing. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? And, yeah. and, and then the, the couple songs that we wound up writing after that post album, um, those, um, those were kind of cool too. Like we, we, we actually got into the studio one more time as a band and recorded two more songs. Hmm. Um, the, uh, where, where I had the digital copies of, and they were kind of cool songs too. Sounded a little bit different. Um, I want to say one of them was a little heavier than what we were doing a little mm. faster. And then the other one, like kind of had almost, I don't want to say uh, like a ska feel, but like there was like, it was mm. kind of like a cool syncopated guitar line and it was a little bit different. And then the stuff that we wrote after that was like, even that's when I was like, Oh wow, we actually have a band that, you know, does sound like the aesthetic of like pop punk, but doesn't, isn't like, a Green Day cover band playing their own originals, which is yeah. basically sometimes what I think we were. Yeah. Um, <laughs> for the longest time, one of my favorite songs, and I still like this is tongue tied and th- mm. it, it's a selfish reason. I played the piano for many years and I never tried to play this in the piano, but the way it's because tongue tied sounds like it's from years before, like the, the first part of it, there's something very, I don't like sixties pop about it. I, it, it oh. Like the, and, and I'm, and I'm every time I listen to it, like I can see this being I'm like, I could have played this. I could have tried to screw around with this on the piano or so. They, so like selfishly, I was like, Oh, I could, I could do this. But yeah, that, that was one of the things that uh, those things were like, you didn't sound like you were, you know, like, uh, like if you, you remember the very late nineties and early two thousands of punk where every single band sounded like Blink-182. I didn't get that from you guys, even though there were parts I could hear Green Day in there. I, mm. I never felt that it was like note for note, a, a really bad imitation of it. Mm-hmm. Before you get the other things, uh, so you did have to tour. Or, or you had to you had to play shows. Your primary audience is teenagers, so it's not like you're touring bars like you're Bruce Springsteen at the Stone Pony, like or something. <laughs> you know, you, you're. You, I wouldn't imagine you're playing to the over twenty one crowd. Like, so like, where? What are the venues that you end up playing? Like, how do you get to that audience of kids who are primarily in high school or early college at this point? They might not um, have a fake ID. Yeah, there, there. Long Island was really cool. Like for an at least when I was involved in this, the quote unquote scene for like that time, there was so many bands that were so involved. And, and I, I don't know, I don't know if they wanted to kind of like emulate what was just kind of like bubbling up in the media. You know what I mean? Because that was like when all this kind of stuff was breaking and people were learning about scenes and all that other kind of stuff. Um, but, you know, VFW hall shows we got booked on. And I remember the first like, non-school show we played was with this band edna's goldfish uh mm-hmm. they're a, a ska band from the island who wound up touring nationally a number of times and we played with them and um we met this other band named fat alice and fat alice called us so, like we exchange information and then that he calls craig up and is like hey we got this other show you guys want to play and obviously it's like you know word of mouth networking kind of you know, what, what we would call as adults now networking, but you know, um, 
it's really just kind of like a loose network of people kind of just staying in touch and helping each other out. And then like, then what happens later on is all those bands break up and then the scene becomes like, I don't want to say incestuous, but they're all like reforming yeah. different bands. And um, So the dude from, you know, Fat Alice calls us up, we play with him and then we meet another band and we call them up and it's just kind of expanding out that way. Um, mm-hmm. VFW halls, we played a lot of basements. We played a lot of VFW <laughs> halls. We played, um, and you know, it's like every punk band's 90s story. Um, we played a lot of empty bars as matinees. You know what I mean? Mm, um, okay. There was a ton. There was Dr. Shays in Lindenhurst, mm-hmm. um, which then moved to Amityville and then whatever. But like I, they had Sunday matinees at two o'clock and mm-hmm. the bartender's like rolling his eyes every time he's giving out a soda. You know what I mean? So, <laughs> you know, and then the sound guy shows up like hungover from the night before 20 minutes after the show's supposed to start. And, <laughs> you know, you know, um, yeah. we, I think we played, uh, one of our friends, Chris Hahn, I think, got us a show up in Bartley, Bentley College, but mm. up in Boston. We played a couple college shows. People like had got got us um, that we knew from high school. Mm-hmm. Definitely house parties. There was a VFW hall. Um, I shouldn't say that. It was a community center. The, the dudes up in Port Jeff and Mount Sinai and like mm-hmm. those guys, they had a really cool thing. It was very, very similar to what we had going. Mm-hmm. and and like we became fast friends with them so we would like go shows back and forth and then as you know where you might not know on the back of the cd we decided to start having shows in bunky's basement when yeah we weren't getting calls and those were awesome man we had like we had like so many kids piled in his I, basement i don't know what his parents were thinking i went to one of those uh it was i went it was spring break my freshman year of college i remember and it was packed you had like five bands in there and i think uh, yeah it was just hot as anything too but yeah I, I do remember like how how many i i did remember thinking like how did rich's dad like <laughs> i don't know i guess maybe, you gotta love I guess that maybe like it, what was cool is like you go right in the back door and right down his stairs. So like the mm-hmm. house wasn't an issue and his folks were there and like Rich Murray always looked intimidating. So he was always oh, in yes. there, you know what I mean? Like, so that really wasn't an issue, I guess, but like maybe his folks were just happy that we weren't out, like getting fucking fucked up. And, That's true. That, that was, a, I mean, I, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know because that, we really weren't at yeah. that point. <laughs> But that, but that, that was a, it was a subculture I was not part of in, in high school, but that was a huge thing among a lot of people in our high school was the mm-hmm. let's go to um, like Lotus Lake Lotus. or somewhere else in the woods and completely get obliterated every weekend. They all so walk past my house now yeah. on the way to the yeah. woods. Especially, <laughs> well, and especially since at that age, you're an 18, 19, instead of having to get up for high school the next morning, you're, you know, this is your life. So it is, it, I guess it does make sense where it's like, well, at least we're supporting him in that, that this is not like, we're not still in the cycle of Lotus on the weekends in right. 19. Right. Uh, and it sounds like you guys did, did a few shows here and there off the Island. Um, we um, Jersey, we did a number mm-hmm. of times. Um, Northampton, Massachusetts had this club curl. Pearl Street. We wound up hooking up with somebody. I don't even remember. And we wound up getting booked there. And like the dude who booked that club, like really liked us. Mm-hmm. And that was weird because that was like teens. They they had like all ages shows, but at night. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I guess maybe because it was not New York and it was whatever. But mm-hmm. um, 
the scene in that town was just awesome. And like the dude who booked us really liked us. And then kids, like the second time we played there, kids were like, Hey, you guys are wasting time. We're like, yeah. Like, yo, we came to see you. And we're like, are you fucking serious? You know what I mean? Like, and, and, I, and, and I remember that being like a, another kind of like, holy, maybe we're doing something right here. And then from there, that's like around when we were signed and we were kind mm-hmm. of looking to get a booking agent and we got booked on a mini tour with um, this band handsome and another band called tree. We did like four or five dates with them through Massachusetts, New Hampshire, Vermont, Maine, I believe. Mm. Um, and, you know, that was like our first kind of like being away from home for a couple of days yeah. and like feeling like a rock band, you know, um, going to a like really wacky after party after one of the shows and being <laughs> like, is this, is this what it's going to be like? Cause it's kind of cool, but kind of scary. You know what I mean? Like, you know, um, you know, I remember that being awesome. And, and then coming back from that and being like, yeah, yeah. But then of course, you know, being 19, 20 year old guys, yeah. everybody has an ego and everybody thinks everything should happen the way they want it to happen and the way they think it should happen. And there you go. Is that how it is that how, it, cause I was going to ask, you know, how things, and because it sounded like you were starting to write more stuff. I don't know if you were planning on doing another record or if it just kind of, you well, know. grass had the, grass had the option for another one, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but you know, the label started to get weird when they got bought out. You know, I don't know if you know the the story behind that. They got bought out. Grass got bought out by BMG, mm-hmm. or distributed by BMG, and then they got bought out by this guy named Alan Meltzer, um, who did CD One Stop or CD Now, one of the first like online retailers. Okay. Um, and he decided to buy this record company and infused a shit ton of money into it. And it became wind up records, which you might know from Creed, Creed. and Evanescence, yeah. mm-hmm. right? So what kind of happened was most of those bands that had been on grass records kind of got lost in the shuffle. It seemed like mm-hmm. we were like one of the first re- I should say last probably grass releases. Mm-hmm. It's weird. Cause the money came in at a weird time and they, they put like, 10 to 15 grand on top of the four four g's that they gave us yeah and this happened afterwards they put like 10 to 15 grand into promotion like there was like ads in thrasher mm-hmm. which now the kids wear the thrasher shirts i'm like oh you read and they're like what are you talking about no anyway. i bought the shirt at target yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um so the ads in thrasher i think there was an ad in spin magazine mm. um a couple of the like punk magazines that allowed distribution uh, major label distributed records to advertise like not maximum rock and roll and mm-hmm. um <clears throat> so we had like they had like a ten thousand dollar advertising bu- budget we had a meeting with the with the director to do a video at one point mm. um you know eh, well no you don't know but uh yeah. <laughs> we had we had a direction we had a, a meeting with a director and our big thing is it's funny you mentioned brown eye girl we didn't really want to put it on the record we wanted to do the the hidden track thing like every other nineties band did at the end yeah. and had that to be a cover at the end. Um, and like, they were like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then they like kind of put it on the record. Like, I don't know if we like nonchalantly agreed to it. I don't remember, but I guess they thought it would be a selling point. We were like, fine. As long as you don't like single it, you know what I mean? Yeah. So when we meet with the director, the director's like, Oh, so we're doing Brown Eyed Girl. And we're like, what the fuck is going on here? And he's like, all right, check this out. Check this out. And I'll never, I'll never forget this. <laughs> he's like, 
all right, Chris, the, the video is Chris. It's your girlfriend, right? It's your girlfriend, but you don't know she's a prostitute, but the other two guys know she's a prostitute, but you don't oh know. God. And then you find out by the end. And I'm like, I look at the other guys across the table. I'm like, what, what is even happening here? I'm like, I remember being like, I don't know, man, we don't even want to release that song. And that sounds like not something we would want to do. You know what I mean? Like, and it was like weird and it was a corporate meeting and it was very strange, but again, we were 20, yeah. 20, 21. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm, yeah. It's, uh, it was a, I'm trying to think of, because there was a story, there's a story in the promo materials of like, you know, cause that, that you guys had, that was one of those songs that was popular in our, there were some really old songs that were popular among people we went to high school with. There were a couple mm-hmm. of Simon and Garfunkel songs as well. I remember being very, very like Cecilia was very popular at one point. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know that was one of the reasons behind you guys covering it in the first place. Um, the video concept sounds like the furthest thing from, from what Van Morrison actually wrote <laughs> so in 1960, stupid. whatever. Um uh, yeah, and, and funny enough, I listened to that and I'm like, I, I'm I'm actually amazed this wasn't picked up to be on a soundtrack somewhere in the 90s because that was one of those things that would happen all the time. Like, you know, mm-hmm. some indie movie would pick this up because it probably the grass would have probably given it to them. We did actually, I, as an addendum to the contract, they sent us those actual forms. Mm. Like, it was actually MTV. MTV took, I think, a clip. I don't even know if it was a clip of ours, but one of the other bands that was on the sampler with us, mm-hmm. um, it was on like road rules season mm-hmm. two. You know what I mean? So like that, we, I, we signed that paper. I remember signing yeah. that like, yeah, man, if you want to put it on, why not? You know? So, <laughs> yeah. Um, all right. So you guys, uh, you know, things kind of, things kind of did fall apart. You all, the three of you went your separate ways. Um, you know, you went to college. I know uh, Rich, I think, went on the police force if I yeah he's if, if from from what i hear recently he's doing really really well kind of working his way up i don't want to mm-hmm. i don't know if he's into like you know leadership role but i know he's like mm-hmm. getting into um like really interesting i, I know at one point yeah. he was doing like counterterrorism stuff or, mm. you know like really really important important nypd jobs you know yeah if, uh, but it sounds like you guys have kept in touch over the years so i would imagine that maybe any bad blood between the three of you is I mean, it's been 25, 20, 20 years, you know, 20, 25 years. So, you know, if, if you're still talking here and there, it's not as, hopefully it's not as contentious as it probably yeah, yeah, was. Yeah, no, it's, you know, uh, I, I would say, you know, certain friendships, um, you know, sometimes you know, perception is nine tenths of everything, shall mm-hmm. we say again. And, and you know, um, whatever whatever weird things have happened or, or whatever. I, I, I always hope that they're water under the bridge, you know, and, and it was actually Craig who I didn't speak to for a very, very long time. And mm-hmm. um, a couple of years ago, this other guy who um, I know runs dead broke records. Uh, he he's like a dude who's in the punk scene forever, like hit me up and was like, Hey, I do this special show every year for a, a friend of theirs that died. Um, and he tries to get all these nineties Long Island bands to reunite. So he's hmm. like, I'd love to have wasted time come. So I actually like reached out to them like two or three years ago. And that's how I heard, heard back from Craig and, uh, and Craig and I, that was like, I, you know, I'd spoken to Bunky on and off between, you know, you know, in those years, however, Mm -hmm. you know, we were really close for a really long time. And then um, Craig, I didn't speak to in like 25 years. And and, (laughs) and we started like communicating again, like, you know, uh, I guess last year, That's good. Uh, or no, I say two years ago. Uh, back and forth about that kind of stuff and 
Um, he's out in California. I, I don't know what he's doing um, job-wise. I know he had a band out there for a little while. Um, you know, I first he moved up to Providence with a couple dudes from Sable to do a band, I think, while one of them went to school and then he moved out to California. Um, you know, I don't know exactly what he's doing, but I know he what, did like um, some Pro Tools, Pro, Pro Tools stuff that he wanted. I think he wanted to get into producing and stuff, but I don't think that wound up working out for him. Um, but yeah, like we, we kind of go back and forth and, and that's, you know, he, he actually messaged me when I put the, the waste of time thinking like this ripper was released 25 years ago, <laughs> you know, uh, he messaged me. He's like, I was going to, I was going to message you happy anniversary, but I didn't know if you knew what, what, what I was going to be talking about. So that, that was funny too. Okay. So, yeah. so, well, it's not like, and this is one of the things that and I got a couple more questions and we'll, then we'll wrap up. Um, mm-hmm. It sounds like I thinking of this, it, it sounds like there, there's a lot of fond memories here and it's, and listening to it, this is not like, let's make fun of ourselves from when we were young, even though we can certainly say how young and stupid we all were at, you know, as teenagers um, recently over the last, I don't know, it was a three, four, five years. You started up with another band called Bur- broken Bay coalition. Um, I don't know if you guys are still doing anything at the moment. Um, it's been a while. Um, yeah. I, I, uh, I work with two of these guys and, and the, the, the drummers, Tony Coleman, as mm-hmm. you know, anybody who winds up listening to this would know uh, from our hometown. Um, who I've kept in touch with forever. These two guys I worked with for, I guess, 15 years, 16, uh, 13 years, whatever. And one day, you know, I knew they played music. And one day we were like, hey, let's get together. We had kind of like jammed here and there, like after school, like having a couple drinks. I, I was like playing drums, playing guitar, whatever, you know, screwing around. And then somebody was like, I think it was a friend of Rich who plays the other guitar player that wasn't a teacher. It was like, you know, I need to get out of my house. I need to start like a punk band or something. You know what I mean? Cause like, you know, I, and, and so we actually started, we played a couple practices with him. And then ironically enough, his wife was like, you can't be out of the house that much. So not that it was a lot, but he's like, you know, yeah. he had worked a lot. So uh, then that's when we called up Mike who plays bass. I knew he played bass and he's joking around. He's like, I got the call. I got the call. You know, so uh, we we wound up playing like 2014. We started, we, you know, screwing around here and there. We recorded twice. We're actually up on Spotify if anybody wants to listen mm-hmm. at Broken Bay Coalition. Um, I think we have, uh, you know, two albums worth of material. One of them is like two demos we put together so we didn't have to pay Spotify twice. And the other one was, um, or not Spotify, the CD Baby or whoever distributes it. And the other mm-hmm. one we recorded um, like kind of a full album. Uh, called Sleep More Sisyphus. Obviously, pandemic got in the way, yeah. um, you know, uh, other things happen like, you know, um, you know, with our families, because we're yeah. three, of, three of us are dads now, <laughs> you know, and we've all been teaching and we're hoping to get we have another batch of like eight or nine songs that are actually some of the, and, and now I can almost say this objectively, but I do realize the bias. Some of the best stuff that I've ever written, at least lyrically, 
Um, and I know like, uh, you know, I, I, I'm sure that comes with being a little bit of an English teacher and just being immersed in it all the time, but, um, you know, uh, d- we're doing that and hopefully we're going to get another thing recorded in the next, you know, couple months. So, cool. all right. I'll, and, uh, if you, if, uh, those of you listening, if you go on to popcultureaffidavit.com and, uh, see the show notes for this episode, you'll see a bunch of scans from the, the wasted time stuff that I held on to. Um, covers of the demo, the CD, um, some of the press materials, uh, the maybe the article or two that I wrote for the high, Sable High School newspaper about the band back in 1995. But I'll also <laughs> link to Broken Bay Coalition's um, Spotify page so you can listen to that because uh, unfortunately, this album uh, you can only buy through CD at this point. Um, I think Amazon was telling me uh, there's only one left or something, but I don't. Oh, uh, wait, wasted time. There's a, if you go on the New Jersey pop punk archives on YouTube, somebody Ooh. put it up there. Okay. Um, I will make sure I link to that then. And uh, I have been in touch with the people who own the rights to the record and they, their, their goal, at least this is what the guy told me is eventually to have all the back catalog put up on Spotify, okay. which is weird. Cause there's another like hardcore band called waste of time that yes. has our, that has our picture on Spotify, <laughs> but it's not us. So I, I noticed that yesterday because I was trying to see if it was on Spotify. Cause I would link to it. And I'm like, to my knowledge, you guys didn't recall, like record three albums in the two thousands. So it was just kind of funny. It's like, <laughs> that'll get rectified at some point, but I will, I will um, look that up for the New Jersey pop punk ar- archive and, and link to it. So the people who don't have a copy of the CD or don't have it, you know, um, can, can listen to it. Um, uh, before I let you go, any last thoughts, anything that, uh, that, that we didn't talk about that you wanted to, to mention? No, I, you know, like, and it's funny because we played Broken Bay Coalition played with Backstreet Falling recently, uh, recently within the past five years, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, they got back together and, you know, something I never would have like told those guys back in high school, but I'm like, you know, I wouldn't be doing this if it weren't for you guys. And so like, I always want to like thank them and, you know, thank anybody who listened, who liked us. Mm-hmm. I, I'm really thankful to talk to you again after 39 years. Yeah. You know what I mean, like, like, I'm just, I'm trying to notice that kind of stuff and, and like mm-hmm. savor, savor those kind of moments now in a different way than I did when I was younger. So this has been great. And, yeah. and uh, you know, maybe, maybe, uh, maybe I'll be so uh, lucky that you'll ask me to talk about something else at some point. Yeah. That'd, so. be, that'd be really cool. Um, all right. So uh, I'm going to, I'm going to take a break uh, at the moment and I will come back on the other end with this to take us out with some listener feedback. Uh, so stick around. historic moment tonight. The Berlin Wall can no longer contain the East German people. It is 1989. 
After 28 years of dividing a city and symbolizing the divide of the Cold War, the Berlin Wall opens up. And from there, everything changes. Fallen Walls, Open Curtains is a podcast miniseries from Pop Culture Affidavit and hosted by me, Tom Paneris. From November 2019 until December 2021, I am going to take a look at the events that took place 30 years ago, beginning with the fall of the Berlin Wall and ending with the dissolution of the Soviet Union and the end of the Cold War. Along the way, I will be flashing back to the landmark and not-so-landmark pieces of popular culture that reflected and defined the Cold War. The first episode will drop on November 9th, 2019, and future episodes will be released quarterly at popcultureaffidavit.com and twotruefreaks.com. Adolescents this generation have no respect and are a far cry from my sweet Jane Eyre and her friend Helen Burns. Why, just this afternoon I was Stella. walking across and, and you know what? Men too. Well, uh, uh, Stella? Men like the tragic Mr. Rochester and teachers, pa, they're all like the villainous Mr. Brocklehurst. Hey, Stella! Uh, yes, Thomas? As much as I enjoy um, indulging your insanity, we have a promo to record. Oh dear, and what might that be? That is you and I telling everyone that we have a podcast out there. It's called Required Reading with Tom and Stella. Once a month, we will take a look at a single work of literature, discuss it, analyze it, and determine if it's worth its place in the canon. Oh dear, that sounds delightful. Oh, I'm sure it will be. And you can find us on the Two True Freaks Network, which is at twotruefreaks.com. Oh yes, required reading with Tom and... Why is it Tom and Stella? Why can't it be Stella and Tom? It rolls off the tongue better? Okay. Well, that was easy. So, required reading with Tom and Stella at twotruefreaks.com. Thanks for contributing to the promo there. You did a great job. Oh, you are so welcome. And I'm back. 
I'd like to once again thank Chris for coming on. It was really great to talk to him after all these years, and I hope you all enjoyed the interview. If you go to the show notes, you will find a bunch of stuff from the album at that time, including the CD cover, the cover to the demo tape, some of the Grass Records press materials, and the scans of two articles that I wrote about the band for my high school newspaper. Um, I also linked to the New Jersey Pop Punk Archive, so you can listen to the Wasted Time album if you don't have your own copy. And I also linked to Broken Bay Coalition's Spotify page if you want to listen to Chris's current music. My website, in case you're uh, a new listener, is popcultureaffidavit.com, so you can check out the show notes there. Now, before I go, I do have some feedback on the last episode. That's when Mike Bailey and I took a look at Pump Up the Volume, um, the Christian Slater movie. Uh, the first is a Facebook comment from Michael Wagner. He says, uh, always a bonus to listen to two of my favorite voices in podcasting. Great discussion. And just thank you very much, Michael. I really appreciate that. Uh, I really enjoyed having Mike on the show, especially revisiting a film that, you know, I knew we really, really loved it, but I listened back to it after I, you know, had edited and put it together. And I was like, I, I just didn't realize how much we were going to still love the movie and, and still really enjoy uh, talking about it and everything. So, um, but yeah, it was, it was, it's a great show and I had a lot of fun putting it together. It's always great to talk to Mike. Um, I also got a Facebook comment from J. David Weeder, who says, I hate to admit this, but I know firsthand that ham radios were still a thing in the 1990s. I was, briefly, a member of my high school's ham radio club, but left due to the cost of the required license and equipment. I don't know if that's a thing you have to hate to admit, Dave. We're all nerds here. This is a safe space. But really, thanks for the comment. Uh, I don't know if anyone I grew up around was into stuff like ham radios. Um, I wouldn't be surprised. I do know a few people, and, and this this could be something for a future episode, uh, friends of mine who were really early internet adopters, like we're talking services like Prodigy, and then um, more importantly, like local BBS websites that you, not even websites, they weren't even websites, but local BBSs that you would dial into um, and stuff. Uh yeah, probably worth probably worth an episode. I'll put a pin in that and I'll and I'll go back to it. Um, maybe dig up some, uh, see what I can find in some archives and type of stuff. Anyway, but yeah, so um, I actually, you know, uh, ham radio is actually kind of like in interesting, or at least that whole thing I found really really interesting. And maybe that's because um, I for like a split split second was almost going to be kind of sort of a part of my college radio station, but the station never got off the ground the, 25 years ago. So I just settled for being the editor of my college paper and then writing a column for four years. So there you go. <laughs> anyway, um, thanks for writing in Dave. Uh, and I finally, I have a message on Facebook from Brad Dade. He writes, so yesterday on my way to work, I was listening to you and Michael Bailey talk about Pump Up the Volume. At one point, you mentioned the Don Henley song, The Boys of Summer, specifically the line, Deadhead Sticker on a Cadillac. Now, I love the song, heard it maybe a hundred times, but when you mentioned that line referring to it about getting older but thinking about your past, I I'm paraphrasing, it was like a light bulb over my head. For some reason, I never really thought about what the song was about until now. Thanks for blowing my mind on a Monday morning. Thank you very much, Brad. I appreciate it. Yeah, I love that. God, I love that song. I, I have a very soft spot in my heart for, for like 
a number of Don Henley solo songs, as I have mentioned on previous episodes. And The Boys of Summer is like, I think it's top on that list. So yeah, so anyway, I I should also note that, um, and this is a bit of trivia, so you may be familiar with the cover of that song by the pop-punk band The Ataris. Uh, They covered it on So Long Astoria, which is their album that came out in 2001? 2002, I think. It's a really good album. Holds up really, really well. There, I don't think there's a skip on that. Anyway, uh, they changed the name of the band in their cover from The Dead to Black Flag. And, uh, you know, at the time I was like, okay, that's a little cheesy, kind of dumb. But at the same time, I was like, now I'm like, that actually kind of works considering how old we all are and people who were older than us who were listening to Black Flag when they were... Um, when they were a going concern were. So yeah, maybe not. <laughs> anyway, I do appreciate your uh, your email. And I'm glad that you and everyone who wrote in uh, was enjoying that episode. Um, if you are listening to this, and you'd like to write in to tell me what you like or don't like about this show or any other episode, really. I mean, I've got tons that you can go back and just email me. I'd always love to hear about anything. Um, you can get in touch with me at popcultureaffidavit at gmail.com. Or you can leave a link uh, or a comment on Facebook or Twitter. Um, so Now, as for next month, if things go according to plan, and I know that I'm podcasting, that is a very loaded phrase. I'm going to have three episodes out. Two of them will be main episodes of the show. They will be a Titans twofer. Donovan Morgan, Grant, and I sat down last week as I record this and discussed the new Teen Titans storyline, The Judas Contract. And then later this month, I'm going to sit down with Shag. And uh, the two of us are going to talk about the Uncanny X-Men New Teen Titans crossover. So both of those will be out in May, probably within a couple of weeks of each other. And then in the last week in May, look for the next episode of my Cold War series, Fallen Walls, Open Curtains. That will be about nuclear apocalypse films of the 1980s, things like The Day After and Threads and Testament, etc. So come back for that. And until then, go to popcultureaffidavit.com to check out the show notes and some wasted time stuff. Listen to the music Chris and I were discussing. And as always, thanks for listening and take care. Thanks for listening to Pop Culture Affidavit, which is produced by me, Tom Panneries. All clips are copyright their respective copyright holders and no infringement is intended. This podcast is a part of the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network, which you can find at twotruefreaks.com. If you like the show, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts. It helps the show get noticed by other people. Feedback via email can be sent to popcultureaffidavit at gmail.com. For show notes and essays and other things random in the world of popular culture, visit popcultureaffidavit.com. You can also follow this show on Facebook at facebook.com slash popcultureaffidavit and on Twitter at popaff, that's P-O-P-A-F-F. Thanks for listening and come back next time for more pop culture randomness.